Good afternoon and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ, online at RadioNorthland.org. You can listen to Rasslin' Memories live on RadioNorthland.org, as well as check out the Rasslin' Memories page where you can listen to past episodes as we have finished five, and now we're on to season six. Hi, Glenn Broggett in. Uh, George is on assignment. He's busy working on a major project for Rasslin' Memories. It's always good when George uh, goes and puts up the, uh, the extra extra elbow grease, if you know what I mean. But in George's place today, I have a very good guest, a very special guest, and I'm so very happy to have him on this week. He was one of the gentlemen who main evented the very first pro wrestling event that I had ever attended live in person. I was a young 11-year-old back uh, in June of 1987 when I attended my first AWA event in Roseau, Minnesota at the high school gymnasium. I still remember it like it was yesterday. My guest was on the, the main event from that card, and he's best known for being one of those Russian wrestlers we love to hate and yell USA at the top of our lungs at. He has worked in several territories in the late 70s and the early 80s and uh, first gained uh, some uh, fame as a private associated with Sergeant Slaughter in Jim Crockett's Mid-Atlantic Territory. But boy, did he take a drastic turn switching sides and allegiances and turned to Mother Russia and became the character Boris Zukov. Uh, Boris worked in various territories before heading to the AWA in 1985 where he worked till uh, the latter part of 1987, where at one point he was a co-holder of the Tag Team Championship along with fellow comrade Soldat Ustinov. He, uh, in 1987, he left Vern for Vince McMahon in the WWF where he tagged with Nikolai Volkov as one half of the Bolsheviks managed by the Doctor of Style Slick. It's been a long, distinguished career for this gentleman. You know, some people call him comrade. Some people call him private. Some people call him, call him sergeant. But to his friends, they call them Jim. But we're going to call him, for the sake of wrestling, Mr. Boris Zukov. Uh, welcome, comrade, to northern Minnesota, or welcome back to northwestern Minnesota and wrestling memories. Thank you very much. So very glad to be here. Oh, it's absolutely an honor and a privilege. Uh, we, we do a lot of our, our chatting online because we're, we're kind of busy people. Lots of uh, things in, in, in life uh, these days that uh, kind of, uh, you know, keep, our, keep ourselves occupied. But it is so very nice that you have uh, cut, carved out a little bit of time for uh, the fans up here in northwestern Minnesota. Old uh, AWA country where we still remember you and remember you quite well here, uh, sir. I got so many fond memories uh, from being up there because I, I still have so many... Uh, 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 very good friends up there, too, and stuff. This means a whole lot to me today. We're going to get into your AWA days here shortly, but we're going to get into the full Boris story if we can. But first, at the time of this recording today, uh, we are still in mourning for the, at the passing, recent passing, of a guy uh, I do believe you may have uh, crossed paths with uh, when you were in the WWF and I don't know if maybe elsewhere, but Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Bobby the Brain Heenan has been on the mind and has been a topic of conversation since we... Uh, heard the uh, the news of his passing this Sunday, but boy, uh, what what do you remember f- about Bobby? And this was a guy that really not only was a great manager, but uh, he could work in the wrestling ring, and he really parlayed that into a, a broadcasting career as well. Bobby was really a good go-to guy for a period of time, and boy, it's sad that we have lost him. I first uh, met Bobby in 79, 80, I guess, when I went to uh, uh, Georgia Championship uh, Wrestling. A- Ole Anderson was the uh, the booker down there and stuff. And Paul Jones was the yep. uh, uh, the promoter, and then um, Jim Barnett was a big man behind the scenes and stuff. And I met uh, Bobby there, who was managing uh, Blackjack uh, Lands and stuff, and just a uh, uh, phenomenal guy, just so quick-witted and a uh, great manager. And um, uh, off-the-cuff, some of the best off-the-cuff interviews uh, uh, 
shoot the, I would have had a hard, hard time uh, being by him and not laughing and stuff because he, he was just so quick witted and so, you know, off the top of his head and uh, just got a tremendous heat and stuff. Whoever he managed and wherever he, he was, you know, so uh, uh, definitely uh, it was great getting back with him in the uh, WWF and all that because uh, by the time I got to the AWA, Bobby was already gone. Just a super guy and uh, we got along real good and everything. Uh, and I really enjoyed him uh, when he got into the TV, you know, when he did the interviews uh, with WWF and then, uh, co-hosting with uh, Gorilla Monsoon. He was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. With Gorilla and Bobby, that was uh, a magic combination. Oh, yeah. And you guys really, you got to share a, a, a stage. You guys uh, not exactly were together in a match, but you guys were on a big WrestleMania card. Uh, you know, you uh, working with uh, Nikolai and Bobby, of course, uh, out making an appearance with uh, one of Andre's last big uh, pay-per-view appearances. But your memories, too, of working oh, yeah. up there at the uh, the Sky Dome uh, back with WrestleMania six, Boy, oh. that talk about oh. a big moment to oh, share. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of traveling with uh, Andre and Bobby and stuff uh, several times, and uh, that was always fun and stuff. I mean, he was just a uh, funny guy, just uh, uh, all the time, great sense of humor and stuff. Yeah, just uh, just an uh, uh, unbelievable guy. And uh, yes, uh, very sad about his uh, passing and everything, and no doubt about that. So you've traveled some highways and byways with Bobby and Andre. I, I, let me tell you, you have to have some memories that come to mind. Absolutely, because, uh, you know, being with Andre and stuff, because Andre would go around in a big, uh, uh, one of those, uh, vans with a big roof on top of it and all that stuff you know so mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was always a lot a lot of fun and enjoyment you know so a lot of things with andre uh, you know recently uh he's he's kind of gained a second life not only for his wrestling legacy he's got a big documentary coming up and people still to right. this day talk about some of uh not only his in the ring but you hear a lot about andre and his uh his days of uh going and, and having a few uh I guess more than a few uh, compared to what we have uh, on average as far as a social toddy or two. Bottles of wine and stuff. He loved wine, you know. (laughs) Good grief, man. If I'd have tried to drink anything like Andre and stuff, uh, I'd have fallen asleep and never woke up again. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he he was something. But, um, yeah, I got to work with him, too, you know, when I was in the uh, Gulf Coast Territory down there with the Fullers and the Armstrongs and Andre would come in for a week and – we and do battle roles and stuff, you know, and uh, got to be there with uh, Arn Anderson and Jerry uh, Jerry Stubbs, Mr. Olympia, and uh, other guys and stuff, you know, and uh, um, Andre Grabby and throw you over the top rope and stuff. That was always uh, fun uh, uh, with Andre and stuff because you know he was a big special attraction and uh, all the fans loved him, you know. So that was uh, that was a lot of good memories with Andre uh, uh, back in them days. Well, you got to kind of see then Andre through various stages towards the end of his career as he was starting to wind down and, you know, also dealing with oh, yeah. his disorder. I mean, that had to be a lot of, of, of just energy for Andre to, uh, you know, just to fight back the pain. And I suppose a lot of that, too, helped out with the medication, with the booze and whatnot. But, boy, he, he was in a lot of pain uh, all the time and stuff and everything. But uh, he, he kept pushing himself because he, le- uh, he just loved the business. So because... Uh, I had a pleasure of uh, seeing Andre before before I got into business. Getting to work with him was uh, was a real special treat. You were so very, I guess, when you look back at it now, very lucky to have been in what became the last 10, 11 years of what was known as the territory right. system and the pre-Vince McMahon stuff. Yep. I mean, you broke in, what, in 1978, was it? Am I correct on that uh, as far as the year, uh, you know, getting your first exposure yeah. with yeah. pro wrestling? Take us back to that that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I'd met a young wrestler from our from my area in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, uh, Rick McCord, and he got me uh, 
hooked up with uh, Steve Savage and the Eclipse. They were uh, good uh, independent wrestlers here in Virginia, and uh, I started out with them for my first year, and then uh, it was like a, actually a year later after I'd started in 79, uh, Ole Anderson gave me a shot in Georgia Championship Wrestling um, on TBS with a, a tag match with Mike Stallings as my partner and against him and Ivan Koloff. I fortunately uh, survived and um, just kept going back. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it was like the old thing, you know, when, uh, somebody hands a football to you, you take it and run with it, you know. And uh, uh, I soon learned quick, you know. And, and uh, when I moved to Atlanta in 1980, uh, I got to meet uh, Baron Von Raschke, and he was a big uh, inspiration and, and, and all that uh, uh, to me, too, and, uh, and, uh, and a very, very wise guy, you know. He's just uh, – uh, Jim, you, you get opportunities, just take it and go as uh, far with it as you can because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Jim uh, Raschke always told me, it's here today, gone tomorrow. You know, you get an opportunity, take it and run with it and take it as far as you can. And just, uh, but, but at the same time, be ready to do something else the, the next day. Well, you talked about uh, your, your first big tag match on Georgia television. Uh, it was kind of like a foretelling of your not-too-distant future when you're working uh, along, you know, across the ring against Ivan Koloff, one of the great true Russian heels of uh, the late, you oh, know, this early 70s. Yeah, yeah, Ivan was my inspiration uh, when I was uh, very young and before I got into business, you know, when he first came into the Mid-Atlantic Territory and stuff and everything, you know, so, uh, yeah, uh, against uh, Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniels and, uh, and, and matches like that and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, he was just phenomenal because Ivan was a, a machine just uh, constantly going and he never got tired. He never blew up and, uh, just in phenomenal shape and everything, you know? And so, uh, that was, uh, he was kind of like my, uh, mentor and stuff, you know? So, uh, uh, getting to do that tag match on TBS that day, I was on cloud nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a dream, a dream come true, especially so early on in your career. Oh, uh, Georgia champion. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and, and uh, Ole, too, because uh, I loved Ole and Gene Anderson and stuff. Cause, man, it was so big here. I mean, uh, the matches they had with Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniels, I got to watch uh, one-hour Broadways, I mean, uh, and even a two-hour Broadway and the cage matches and stuff. Uh, you know, the, 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 those guys just had a, uh, you know, the, the way they all came, were in sync and everything and just uh, – uh, the, the charisma they had, and uh, it was, uh, uh, I, I never got to see uh, uh, matches like that until uh, until later, you know, when uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter and uh, my partner Don Canodal got, got with Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, but uh, uh, Gene Holy and, uh, and uh, Wahoo and Paul Jones were, were, was just magical. I mean, they just sold out everywhere, and uh, the, the matches were, were just unreal, and that's uh, you some of the guys today had to work matches like that uh, with guys like that. Uh, they probably wouldn't live through it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, with Ole, what was that like? Because you saw him in the ring, you knew what he could do. But coming up and, and working for Ole uh, down there in Georgia Championship Wrestling, was there some nerves involved with meeting Ole for that first time, or had you met him before? Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, because uh, well, uh, uh, Ole's just like he was on TV. I mean, when you met Ole in person, he was just. Uh, 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 obnoxious and overbearing and, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 a bully type guy, but that, that's what his personality was. And that's what got him over. And that's what helped him get so much heat and stuff. I mean, cause he could, uh, uh, he'd be like that in person, but he could relay that over on the TV. And that's what helped him get so much heat with Gene and stuff. Cause see, Gene didn't talk. Uh, Gene didn't do anything. He was a great, uh, wrestler and worker in the ring and stuff. And just, you know, they were a brutal tag team. But uh, uh, Ole was another guy that was quick-witted and could do interviews and uh, really able to pick people off and stuff and wanted to see him get, uh, get his butt whipped. And he, uh, him and Gene put butts in the seats, as they say. So <laughs> uh, 
that's what was great about them days. Guys like that. And the exposure yeah. you guys got on, on WTBS, and, and that was, uh, that was oh, the, yeah. the Cadillac with satellite uh, television really in its fruition as far as the masses uh, starting to kind of get take the All lead right. and, and put these satellites up and cable systems coming. But uh, what were your earliest memories? We talked about Oli, we talked about In the Ring, but what was your memories of the, the, the Techwood Drive studio that you worked in? I mean, one of those old small TV studios, which was kind of the norm in those days, but there always seemed to be something kind of special about Atlanta when, when a lot of people look back and thanks to uh, youtube and daily motion and some of these sites we're able to kind of see those early days uh, yeah but we'll talk about those days of working just at the techwood drive studio kind of take us back into the building itself oh yeah yeah because it, it, you know, it was small you know and they had the uh, uh the dressing room area and all that but just the uh the way they set up the studio and stuff because i um, uh, i went out and checked out the uh the studio and uh, what i had the backdrop at were uh uh, Golden Soli was and all that, and that was just uh, uh, kind of small and stuff. But it was just uh, it was just a great atmosphere. The atmosphere there was just phenomenal, and the, and the fans were so into it and so loud and everything. It was just uh, it really gets your blood pumping, uh, mm. w- without a doubt there and stuff. Because um, uh, you know the uh, the good guys, I guess the baby faces and the heels and stuff. The response was just absolutely incredible. You, you could see it on the TV, but when you got to do it there in person, and man, it was just a whole extra thing. Really get your adrenaline going. Mm-hmm. I mean, watching it through the 80s when uh, when we finally did get cable up to where we lived, uh, you know, those right. shows, were, the way they would build up with the interviews and the angles and, and, and the matches, I mean, uh, what, what I got to watch here in the later years, in the past years of uh, some of uh, the early 80s Georgia Championship, I, it was really fun because, man, you have that just that intimate, intimate setup with the fans so, so close. And you have Gordon, you right. look behind you and you have Gordon solely down there setting the table. And you have so many of these wild personalities that came uh, through Georgia Championship in that time frame, you know, where you have your, your, oh, your Roddy yeah. Pipers and this is kind of where your Buzz Sawyers came up, your Tommy Riches. Right. I mean, you had some of the yeah. cream of oh, the yeah. crop of great talkers who relied on, you know, how much time is it? What are the bullet points? Let's get it out there. I mean, that was an art in and of itself. Oh yeah, yeah, and because uh, uh, I met uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong there, and uh, I met uh, Rick Martell when he was real young there, and uh, uh, him and Tommy Rich uh, was a phenomenal tag team there. I mean, uh, uh, so, uh, Rick Martell was another guy that was in fantastic shape, you know, and, uh, uh, great baby face and everything. Yeah, the, the atmosphere was just uh, wonderful. Yeah, I got to meet uh, Stan Hansen there in you know, the first time, and then uh, uh, Billy D, Mass Superstar, and wrestling too, and. Uh, also got to meet, uh, well, it was the first time I got to meet Bruiser Brody, too, you know. And I said, God bless her, what a giant he was. And Abdullah the Butcher, it, it was great time, so that, that's for sure. So I was uh, uh, I was in hog heaven, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Justifiably so. Were you around uh, still working uh, GCW shows when uh, when when Michael Hayes and, and Gordy were in doing some of their stuff? Or was uh, were you uh, on to other things? I think I got to see him one time and stuff and everything, but then I, I came more into them uh, 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 later on down the road, especially when I got to uh, uh, Dallas, Texas in, uh, in uh, late summer, early fall of 83. But the worst times I was, I was able to catch them on uh, uh, TV and all that and everything, you know, so that was uh, um, uh, that was phenomenal, too, because uh, uh, that, that was a great combination they put together, those three guys. And uh, you also mentioned uh, you worked in the Gulf Coast. Uh, you worked for uh, Tennessee. I, I recently had this guy on the fo- on the program, uh, the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. And you had that opportunity right. uh, to work yeah, with uh, the stud. What yeah, was- Ron and Robert uh, Fuller, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong and uh, Jimmy Golden. Uh, they were all part of that uh, 
territory down there and stuff because uh, she was uh, my late home uh, that I had uh, tagged up in the AWA with Mongolian Stomper was a big guy down there. Archie uh, Goldie, yeah. Archie Goldie, because I got to meet Archie uh, when I went out and did some uh, work for the uh, uh, for Armstrong and Fuller's and uh, when they had the little territory in Knoxville before they moved it down to uh, Pensacola and Dothan. So, so what was it like working with with the Fullers? I, I mean, you hear now you're hearing a lot more about their history recently with Ron kind of stepping up and telling the story. But what was those experiences like on on those cards working for for the boys and uh, and 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 who? What did you enjoy? Who did you enjoy working with when you were in in there for that spell? You were there for a couple of different uh, appearances down in that Gulf Coast southeastern area. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, yeah, in fact, the uh, first time I was there, I was there right, right at a year and stuff, you know, because I uh, met Arn, Arn Anderson there and uh, 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 Mr. Limpy uh, and Jerry Stubbs and all that. But yeah, uh, uh, Robert was great to work with, and uh, uh, Jock Rougeau was there at the time, so I got to work with uh, Jock, and uh, uh, Ron Fuller was uh, was fabulous too, you know, and, uh, and Bull of Bob Armstrong. Uh, 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 Brad too, uh, Brad Armstrong, uh, another phenomenal baby face. And, uh, and then his, uh, young, uh, uh, oldest son, Scott, uh, Scott, uh, was there. And then, uh, Steve came into play later on too. Austin Idol. That was a phenomenal territory. Great thing about that was, uh, you pretty much got, to, well, except on the weekends and stuff, you got to be, uh, home every night during the week. So that, that was great about that territory. Now you mentioned Austin Idol. Now, what was, uh, the experience like having Austin in a locker room, uh, and working alongside him? I mean, there's a guy that has, uh, been, you know, although some people have drawn some influence uh, from him through the years, uh, but a guy that has, has been known, you know, he's kind of kind of has his own sort of controversial uh, tendencies through the years. But what was your your remembering oh, yeah. of working yeah, with Austin? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, he he had ways about him and stuff and everything, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he got over really good there as a uh, uh, as a baby face, and he had a lot of, a lot of charisma, and uh, he was easy to work with, and. Uh, uh, got a lot of lo- a lot of heat and stuff with him and everything. So, uh, in fact, man, back in them days, you know, especially with the Russian gimmick and stuff, and you know, and uh, all the believability that the fans had, you know, it was, uh, we really had to be careful. There was play- a lot of places there, uh, the hills and babies that had to fight back to dressing room just to help help the police keep the the people away because there was uh, in some of these places there is uh, it was very easy to get cut, you know, because uh, the fans got so so into it and stuff because uh they they believed it so i remember uh, uh i remember when i was going to be uh, uh leaving the territory at the den and stuff and finishing up with uh, uh with austin idol and he was going to go into the program with uh jimmy cold and uh, they had to go around everywhere and uh, uh and uh end up stealing the belt from him you know uh and we, me and jimmy Golden, uh we do we do something where uh austin would catch me uh right there at the end and jimmy Golden would jump in and we would uh beat Austin up and leave him laying and I'd steal the belt and leave and there was places man uh, they tried to turn my van over and everything because they thought I was leaving uh, stealing the belt from Austin so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, those are those are fun days and just sad that they're all gone days like that but man it, it got scary at times Mm-hmm. Well, I'm talking with Boris Zukov, and yes, as you were cultivating the character of Boris Zukov, you mentioned about how scary it could be at times. Because yes, there was still very much kayfabe was in the air 
and there was crowds, yeah. man, oh, that yeah. you got, you guys could still be able to heat up a crowd to that to that point of of, of which some wanted to take some real true action. And let's just say you look at the setups that the promotions have now with the guardrails and all of the really prime security. It didn't really. You guys had some sort of protection, but it wasn't uh, quite the security teams that that Vince's team uh, Vince has uh, nowadays. But you know what was that like as you were cultivating this character? of Boris Zukov getting through these crowds. I mean, there had to have been some times, you mentioned it was scary, but there had been some times where you're questioning, oh, well, man, maybe it was a little bit better to be Private Jim Nelson. Yeah, right, yeah, because, well, uh, uh, I know d- different towns like Dothan and uh, Birmingham, places like that, they just had to have a lot of police there and have uh, one on each side escorting you to the ring and sometimes one in front and in the back and stuff. But like I said, a lot of times we'd end up brawling with each other and uh, babies would fight us back to the dressing room so they could safely get, get us back there and the uh, people would stay away from them because uh, they didn't want to hurt them and stuff and uh, but in, uh, in essence it was protecting us from from the fans you know so and uh, and and uh, 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 uh the same thing with the referee a lot because referee would have to be there too and everything so it's kind of yeah. like the yin and yang of being a heat magnet uh, in, in those days, especially uh, was was dealing oh, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the unpredictable. Because uh, uh, you know, yeah, the whole thing back then was you know you you, you have your uh, promote the matches on the TV, but the whole thing was to draw people in, into the arenas and and, into, and and do something to bring them back next time to you know uh, uh, to keep that money coming in and and you know keep the crowds up uh, put uh, put butts in the seat so whatever it took is what you, is what you did you know to uh, you know, to, to bring people people back the next time did you deal with a lot of flack on the road like when you'd make stops or anything in those wrestling territories or, or what was that like just the traveling itself oh i mean uh, around uh, around people and stuff well yeah if you got recognized and stuff uh, uh best thing for hills back then uh, and uh, I, I learned this when i was in the middle Atlantic with uh uh, with Piper and stuff like that, yeah. Ole and Gene and stuff is uh, uh don't uh, don't associate with the fans. Uh, it was a total different thing, especially if you're a heel and stuff. But it uh, it takes the uh, what do you call the mystique away? Oh, absolutely. People watching you on TV and stuff. You know, it's kind of like seeing uh, watching TV shows and stuff. You know, the people are looked at it in a in a different light. If you if you get around and associate with them and try to act like the, uh, you're their friend and stuff. Uh, you're not a special person anymore, and that uh, that takes away the mistake of them wanting to come uh, pay to see you. And there's like uh, uh, I remember Roddy Piper telling me uh, early on, you know, Jim, because it's good to watch the matches and stuff, but try to watch them from an area where you can't be seen. Because if they can see you all the time, you're not that special when you go out there in front of them. It's like when you go to concerts and stuff and everything. Yeah, you might be able to meet them, meet and greet out back and stuff like that. But if you go to a lot of concerts, uh, a lot of the musicians stay out of sight till it's time to hit the stage, and then when they hit that stage, you know that's that's when that b- boom comes. But uh, you know it's it's hard for them to go out there and, and mingle with people uh, all the time and stuff because it, it takes that mystique away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be like having uh, Mick Jagger walk through the crowd to get to the backstage area. Yeah, it, it takes away the yeah, mystique. Go, go, go buy pop, uh, go out there and buy pop, popcorn and cokes and, and <laughs> mingle with fans and stuff and everything. When it's time for them to come out there, it's not that special no more. It's like when they're leaving the buildings too. It's the same thing. We leave the buildings where the big thing, is, especially if you're in a lot of heated towns and uh, a lot of heat, car and get your butt out of there because somebody could be out there waiting to cut you. 
that, that was the reality that you, that, that you guys face, especially with, with the heels. And I want to talk about your trip. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you, you had a, a brief run in, in world class and, and, uh, that's where you worked yeah. with Fritz von Eric. And, uh, I do believe Brody, right. uh, talk about uh, moving over to Dallas, uh, as you're seasoning up your career here. And now you find yourself, yeah, uh, right. with, with, with the Boris Zukov character. Well, you know, Boris, Zuk- the, the last name, uh, had a few different, uh, cosmetic changes throughout the, uh, the territory, uh, territory yeah, days. Well, they, uh, it, uh, it was always Zukov, and then they always ended up messing up, putting an R in it, and saying uh, Zurkov, and I kept having to uh, uh, correct them. You know, uh, I said, "No, it's supposed to be Zukov," and uh, uh, I finally got it straightened out uh, uh, down the road. But it was supposed to have been Zukov from, from the uh, the entire get go, but uh, it, they got off uh, uh, off base there. You know. <laughs> Times, but, <laughs> a little uh, bit, huh? Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, my first chance to go to Dallas and stuff is when I got to go over there because uh, uh, Bill Watts gave me the opportunity to start with Bull Zukov in uh, in Mid South. Uh, he brought me in from Jim Crocker Promotions, and uh, I called and talked to him because uh, I had worked for him uh, when he did some uh, 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 booking in uh, in Georgia before uh, uh, before I ended up uh, moving to the Carolinas and uh, Jim Crocker Promotions. So uh, uh, Bill Watts. Uh, 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 had me over there and then they wanted somebody to come over, you know, uh, a Russian thing to work with Brody. So he sent me over there to do the TV. And then, uh, 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 Fritz got interested in wanting to bring me in. So that's when I got a chance to go there. But, uh, it was that match I had with Brody that, that gave me the jump start to go to Dallas. And, uh, uh which I was always grateful to Frank for that. So, uh, you know, you know he, uh, he was a super uh, big guy to work with and stuff. And as long as you go out there and you was solid with him and didn't, then play around and stuff. You got along with Frank because that's yeah, he him as as uh, he was with you because uh, uh you know is that a uh, uh, hit me kid hit me you know so that, that's what I did and he uh, 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 he liked that and, th- and that's what gave me the chance to go over there work, to work with uh, with Fritz and stuff because uh, Fritz liked my work with uh, uh, that Frank uh, that time so that uh, that helped me out a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and working with Fritz, you also, uh, you know, you had a chance to, to, to work that territory, including uh, famous venues like, of course, the, the Sportatorium and there's Reunion Arena. And uh, you got a chance. Yeah, also, uh, you, got, you got to yeah, be you got to see uh, the, the kids, too. Reunion Arena and then uh, Fort Worth and all that, you know, so uh, that territory there is when I had the uh, scary experience with the Freebirds where we was flying on a uh, plane with uh uh, um, uh, Jimmy Garvin was learning to be a pilot and everything training, and um, he had the uh, pilot uh, trainer with him and everything. And then we was we went going on a flight coming back from uh, 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 it was at Abilene, I believe, uh, uh, he- heading back to Dallas and had uh, 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 had problems when we were on takeoff. They, they uh, some of the mechanic forgot to put the oil caps back on, oh, and um, uh, uh, oil was coming out the engines on both sides. And then thankfully, Jimmy got it turned around and got it down on the ground before the engine locked up. And I was uh, I was with Michael Terry and uh, uh, and, and and Buddy Roberts on that, and uh, boy, that was scary. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine. And then, and then you think about it too, though, Boris. You, you being a, a rock and roll fan of Leonard Skinner, you're sitting in a plane yeah, exactly. that's questionably having mechanical trouble, and you're with guys that call themselves the Freebirds. That must have just been the like Freebirds. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And we was all talking about that. He said, I said "Oh guys, and Terry said, my God, we're going to end up like." Uh, Scared of Jimmy get this thing down. I mean, uh, we and when Buddy Roberts got off the plane, he fell to his knees and threw up. Yeah, we had to sit there and wait for them. But the whole the engine had to be cleaned because oil was all over that motor. We were lucky it didn't catch on fire. Oh, but uh, we had to wait for him to steam clean it, and then we had to get back on it 
because we had to fly back to uh, Love Field in Dallas because we had a uh, a show over that way the next day. So that was a. Uh, uh, I was so thankful when they, when those wheels touched the ground in Love Field. <laughs> but that was a mechanic uh, error there. Uh, they said the pallets were supposed to raw, 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 go around and check it, but uh, uh, supposedly they missed it. But they they forgot to put the oil caps back on. Just some, they were laying some... on the, uh, uh, the the table there in, in the uh, uh, in the uh, wing there uh, where they uh, serviced the plane before we left that 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 uh, that evening. And but then thankfully it was in the afternoon too. Uh, uh, we was able to see because uh, Terry spotted the oil coming down the wings. Oh man! If it had been at night, uh, nighttime and stuff, uh, we wouldn't be able to see that. By the time Jimmy would have noticed that being at nighttime, the oil pressure would probably drop too low, and we'd have been in trouble. Now you worked in world class. What were your interactions uh, with uh, Fritz's sons at, at, at that time? Uh, working oh, working uh, with the company. I, I, I was thankful. I was there, uh, and, and it was a blessing. Uh, I got along with all of them, and uh, we all talked to each other and. Uh, uh, they were a blessing and pleasure to work with. I got to work with all of them uh, that were there at the time. And uh, David was great. Kerry uh, uh, was too. And, and Kevin, uh, uh, I really enjoyed working with all of them. We're talking with Boris Zukov. And now I want to bring you up to uh, when you got up. When I got my first taste of Boris Zukov is when you headed up to uh, up north to the American Wrestling Association in 1985. My first uh, time I got to see because we live uh, where I where I grew up. I live close to the Canadian border. Uh, the first taste of feud oh, wow. I got to see you in was when you you did the run in on Rick Martel. It was you and Chris Markoff that set up the big main event right. uh, for the Winnipeg right. Arena. Talk about Making that splash, connecting with Vern, first of all, and, and getting yourself up to uh, the four-season territory of the AWA. The main thing I was able to get up there is, uh, is Sergeant Slaughter uh, put in a big uh, word for me with uh, Vern and Greg and, uh, and everybody. And he was willing to bring me in and give me a shot. That's who gave me, helped me get my foot foot in the door up there. And uh, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to have done it if it hadn't been for Sergeant Slaughter. What was it like working with Chris Markoff? Uh, I mean, he is, uh, in, at the oh, time, uh, he was working. Oh, this was great because, uh, yeah, because uh, uh, Chris was in the Mid-Atlantic Territory uh, with Nikolai. Lord Alfred Hayes uh, was their manager there. So that, that's where I met Chris and everything. And uh, uh, yeah, he was a great guy and stuff. Uh, I enjoyed traveling with him and stuff. I mean, one of the... Uh, uh, one of many of the tightest guys I ever met in the business as far as his money goes. <laughs> he was quite a character. And, you know, we had a good time with each other and uh, and uh, enjoyed traveling together and uh, and working together and all that. Yeah, and that feud with Martell, that really got you going here, though, of course, which inevitably led oh, to yeah, slaughter. But yeah. let's talk about Martell. Oh, uh, Rick, yeah, yeah, because he was just a phenomenal babyface. Remind me a lot like uh, like uh, uh, Ricky Steamboat and stuff, just quick as lightning and uh, great uh, drop kicks and arm drags and he had a lot of fire, and, and the girls just loved him. And, I mean, uh, it was so easy to get heat on him. It was like taking candy from a baby, you know. So, uh, man, it was really easy. And I really had to watch myself in place going back because uh, uh, people just loved Rick Martell. But, yeah, yeah, he just had so much fire and just so uh, 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 so much energy and everything. It, it, it was great. And uh, Oh, it was amazing. I can't get to work with him. I, yeah, what a pleasure. <laughs> when he would heat up, uh, yeah, I mean, those matches that you guys had were, were, were very cool. And like I said, I got to see a lot of that stuff on Canadian television. Well, you uh, soon broke off with Chris Markoff around uh, the fall of 1985. And your next logical feud, of course, was with the guy who was uh, had a big hand in, in, in helping you out through your career, uh, you know, by way of suggesting to uh, other promoters to get you on the, in the company. I'm talking about Sergeant Slaughter. And you guys ended up uh, taking oh, yeah. this feud to Super 
culture clash, and you also ended up uh, switching managers and, and, and affiliating with a man who also has... Uh, had another identity in pro wrestling as Billy White Wolf, who became uh, back to his name of Adnan. We're talking about Sheik Adnan El Casey. Let's talk about th- oh, that yeah. feud with Sergeant Slaughter, working Super Clash, and then now hooking up with a Sheik. You go from a comrade to a Sheik. Now, this story just keeps getting better for Boris Zukov. Vern wanted to put me uh, with Adnan and stuff, so Adnan worked out a deal. We brought, uh, brought my contract from uh, uh, Chris Markoff and... Uh, uh, brought me in and teamed me up, and uh, that, that's when uh, uh, I teamed up with, uh, not long, uh, right after that, with the uh, Mongolian Stomper. Adnan was so established there, and he he had such tremendous heat and everything. It was just uh, 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 incredible and everything, so that, 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 that really gave me a boost there. Now, talk about working uh, another big wrestling event. This was kind of uh, one of you, I had to be one of your first big uh, outdoor, like huge Major League Baseball stadium shows is when the AWA you know they wanted to fight McMahon, and so did the NWA, and thus perform. You know they formed right. this consortium with Jerry Jarrett and a few other companies right. called Pro Wrestling USA. And you were very much uh, in the midst of the Pro Wrestling USA uh, phase. Uh, and they had this big show. One of their big big shows was at Comiskey Park in 1985, and you worked with uh, right, the Sarge right. Super Clash. Uh, what are your memories of this yeah, show? Yeah, that was. Uh uh, yeah, that that was phenomenal there, uh, up there by Chicago and everything. Yeah, the the crowd was incredible. Uh, always loved going to uh, Chicago, you know, uh, for the regular shows and all that. But at uh, Kaminsky Park, that uh, that was wow, that was breathtaking. And what was great about that is uh, 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 my parents had traveled up to uh, uh, see me in Minnesota, and they they came down to Kaminsky Park and saw that show before they headed back home to Virginia. So that was real. That was real special too. You lived in Virginia. You grew up in that area. But what was it like moving to, like I said, a four-season territory like the AWA, where you get the extremes of winter more so than uh, in certain areas down along the Mid-Atlantic and down towards the South, where it's a little little different on the climate. Right. But what was your what was that like oh, adapting? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, because uh, I think the first winter I was there, I think uh, I think they had like 120 inches of snow or something, and. Uh, a bit of cold weather, you know, uh, and then going to uh, uh, Green Bay, which I always wanted to go to because I was a big football fan, you know, and remembered all that uh, that big uh, 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 thing over in uh, uh, Green Bay, you know, where they had that uh, bitter cold uh, uh, game, you know, with uh, uh, Vince Lombardi was uh, still coaching and all that. So that was real great get to go to wrestle in that uh, arena, which is right there by the uh, uh, the stadium and walking over to the stadium and, and all that. So, yeah, yeah. I loved uh, I loved being up in, the, in uh, Minnesota and stuff, but the, yeah, the win- the winters were brutal. There's no doubt about that; <laughs> absolutely brutal. So, but, but we had to go to Canada, and and uh, we just had to deal with that uh, in in the winter time, you know. So it would. It was quite an adventure, that's for sure. <laughs> the payoffs were the beautiful spring and summer, though, I have to say. I mean, we've got... Yeah, the, for- yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful spring and summers and uh, long nights and stuff and everything. So, I mean, before the sun went down and uh, uh, just, uh, just a gorgeous time up there. So... Now, I mentioned Pro Wrestling USA and, and the AWA, and it was right around that time AWA uh, signed on with ESPN, and uh, I think one of the contributing factors of, of, of the making that deal was AWA... Just at the time, had Sergeant Slaughter, who you were feuding with, but you guys did some tapings. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the differences between the the, the, t- the the big bulk tapings that you guys used to hold at first at the Tropicana in Atlantic City, and then of course at the legendary Showboat, where you guys some of your biggest moments at AWA were, were on display. Uh, both of these programs, uh, are, oh, yeah. Are, yeah, AWA, of course, on ESPN. But what? 
let's first of all talk about the Atlantic City stuff because uh, they were really AWA and Crockett. These guys were really gung ho on this uh, invading Vince's area and some of these uh, towns, and especially Atlantic City. You're getting in the backyard of uh, the WWF at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, sure worry, you know. But I mean, uh, even at that time, the writing was on the wall. I mean, what uh, Vince was wanting to do and trying to do and everything, you know. So, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great getting to uh, getting to go there and and uh, work together on those shows and stuff, you know, and uh, see some of the other guys you, you hadn't seen for a while, you know, from there uh, that were in the other territories. That was always a, uh, always a fun time for me, you know, in places like that. So I got to. And then I'd, I'd get to go over there, and, uh, and Jimmy Snook would come in, so I get to work with Jimmy, and the, the fans just loved and adored him over there. So that was uh, that made that so easy, you know, when he got to work, work matches like that with uh, with guys like that that were big in that territory. And also at the time, you got to uh, work with uh, around '86 when he held the title. You worked some uh, shows, a notable title defense. Uh, you had a, a title shot. You had. Uh, with in the ring with Nick Bockwinkle, I remember uh, one of the amount of your oh, matches yeah. at the Showboat oh, came yeah. to mind. Great, great uh, guy. Oh yeah, uh, Nick is such a big name and something. Just a great guy in the ring, man. He uh, he helped me so much, and uh, it was it was just incredible because he he had so much knowledge and stuff, and uh, he he'd been the champion there for a long time and and well established. Getting to work with him was was another another dream. Uh, uh, come true and everything because he's such, such a big, uh, big name. And uh, like I said, the, the knowledge Nick had was just was just incredible. The psychology that he that he had in the ring and stuff, and uh, uh, that helped make a difference in the uh, in the matches. You know uh, that I was able to have with him. And, and though yes, the WWF was really kind of putting the squeeze on a lot of these companies, most notably the AWA in 1986 oh, yeah. and 1987. But at the time, you got to work with some of the young lions who, at that time, were were some of these stars in the making. But you also had the mix of some of these uh, older seasoned veterans. But you guys had what an impressive lineup of young guys that you worked uh, across the ring against. We're talking the Midnight Rockers with Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels, right. Scott Hall, Kurt Hennig. I mean, and of course, you mentioned. Nick oh, yeah. Bockwinkle. I mean, it was a very interesting blend of uh, old and, and young alike. But again, for uh, the AWA, they did put up a pretty good fight. And this was kind of one of the last big years, uh, 86 and into 87, before things kind of fell apart with you guys. But boy, what a lineup still to be working with some some really good young talent. Scott, uh, uh, he come in and uh, Scott came into his own and, and Kurt Henning was just, uh, what a talent he was. Golly, Ned, he was an, another baby face uh, uh, had a lot of fire and the fans loved him and stuff and everything. And that was one thing I was disappointed about when he came to WWF. They uh, he came in as a heel and I wasn't able to work with him again, you know, cause he, and that was another guy that was so easy to get heat on. Good grief. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, had that big drop kick off the top rope and everything. And he, he was just phenomenal. Uh, the talent that he had, cause he, he had a lot of energy and fire and uh, blessing to work with. And, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, uh, uh, they they came into their own there, and they just got better and better and better, you know. Uh, Wahoo came in at the time, and uh, another young guy that uh, died too young, uh, uh, DJ Peterson, you oh, know, of course. Uh, you know, was a good baby face there, too. That mm. I lo- loved working with. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to fast forward to 1987. You ended up getting uh, some uh, AWA gold. Uh, you ended up teaming up with... Uh, a fellow comrade, uh, Jim Lanning, a.k.a. Soldat Ustinov, yeah. who uh, wrestled under Soldat another Ustinov, yeah. another Russian. Uh, he had another Russian gimmick uh, previous uh, when he was working with Eddie Sharkey. But 
when uh, when did you know? What was that like? You know, when did you find out the decision that they were going to put the belts on you and sold that uh, with, with the, the, over the Midnight Rockers? Of course, Midnight Rockers kind of were like a, a back and forth uh, situation with uh, the, the WWF and the AWA at the time. Oh, of course, due to a lot of uh, right. disciplinary reasons. But what do you remember about the the AWA coming to you? Uh, whoever came to you with Jim to tell you that guys were going to you guys are basically going to have the belts put on you with a victory over the Rockers. Well, I guess a lot of the heat we had, you know, uh, we'd come together pretty good as a tag team thing. And like I said, you know, Adnan being so established there and, and the heat uh, Adnan had, you know, to me, that was that was icing on, uh, on the cake for uh, for me and Jim. And I think the combination of that and the the, the, the hatred against the, uh, uh, the Russians and stuff and everything, you know, and uh, 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 Jim was really catching on to the uh, – uh, gimmick and the heat uh, early on and uh, and all that and uh, I know they had the legal stuff going on back and forth between uh, AWA and uh, WWF and all that and everything but they uh, thought we were the best at the time to, to put the belts on you know, uh, you know with the heat and everything and like I said uh, Adnan was the, the nucleus there I think that that, that made the, the difference there uh, getting that done. And your first big matches, and I, you guys had a hell of a feud. You mentioned this guy earlier uh, who left us way too, uh, way too young, uh, DJ Peterson, and the team of DJ Peterson and Wahoo McDaniel were your first big major uh, feud that uh, generated over the spring and spilled up into the early part moments of the summer of 1987. Uh, boy, talk about a, right. a, a nice contrast, and then you got the more experience in, in the ring with, with Wahoo, who uh, I do believe was at the time, him and Stevens were, were working with, uh, as road agents, some sort of uh, thing with Vern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were working together as road agents, and uh, uh, I'd gotten to be with Ray uh, um, early on and uh, when I moved to uh, the Carolinas in the middle of the Atlantic and stuff, you know, uh, uh, lived, lived right by each other and got to meet Ray then, and I was always a big fan of Ray because I uh, Another great, uh, uh, wise old, old timer that was just, uh, man, what a bump taker he was. And he had great psychology too and stuff. So that was a pleasure. Uh, anytime you got to work with him and everything, cause uh, he, he was just phenomenal. And I had so much respect for him and stuff cause, uh, what they'd been through and, uh, what they knew about the businesses and stuff. And it was just, just common sense, you know, you, you, you fall and listen to guys like that and stuff. And, uh, you can learn from them. I think every night you got in the ring, no matter who you got in the ring with and stuff, especially guys like that, uh, you're going to learn something new. And, that, uh, uh, every time you get in the ring and that, and to me that, that made a, big, a world of difference. Mm -hmm. I want to take you back into my time machine. I mentioned at the top of the program, uh, Boris, that uh, my first live uh, wrestling event was an AWA spot show when you guys were uh, making your summer swing through county fairs in the upper part of uh, Minnesota and North Dakota in the summer, early summer of 1987. And my first show was uh, when you guys traveled to Roseau, Minnesota, way up there near the Lake of the Woods, near Bedette, all that, uh, on, at the end of June uh, 1987. This was at the Roseau high school gymnasium and i'm going to give you a, a little run through about some of the guys in the event i can still remember pretty well from uh 30 years ago oh i know i know this was the funny part my first time i got to, to see wrestlers walking uh in was uh it was you and i think you still had that little piece of hair that little tuft on the back uh, on the back of your head there for a oh, while yeah, ponytail yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that that thing was the darndest thing you, you you had that perfectly shaved uh, noggin and you had that that ponytail that was a good eye catcher but you were walking in you yeah. looked a little sunburn at the time though i could remember my mom saying i think he had a little too much sun right. <laughs> maybe out in the boat oh, or yeah. something but i remember you guys walking in i remember sherry i remember this i mean spot shows and some 
summertime and the seasons, boy, you guys got to hit some pretty interesting high schools and uh, the county fairs uh, with, with, with Vern uh, up oh, in the yeah. AWA, especially in the summertime, I bet. Oh, yeah. Th- that was a great time because uh, the fairs were always fun. You know, the crowds were always great. But, uh, yeah, those spot shows in those uh, high schools were, uh, uh, was the same way, you know, and uh, the, uh, the the crowds just uh, just loved it. So, yeah, uh, those are those are great times and great, great memories uh, for sure there. Always something to look forward to going somewhere you haven't been before. And in this, uh, this was the main event uh, of the card. I'm going to take you back in time here. You and, and Soldat were teamed up in a six-man match. The previous night, you guys were in a tag match against uh, DJ and Wahoo. But you guys, uh, here's the thing. Kurt Henning was the, was the AWA champion. He was a fresh heel. The thing was, they announced his right. name of saying Kurt Hennig like, at the beginning. They didn't say your names right away. In the main event tonight, Kurt Hennig. And that place went bananas. Like, they popped because they some of them must not have followed the TV. They were going for, you hear Kurt Hennig? That's a hero. And then when they said, the announcer oh, yeah, goes, when, when, yeah. when Al Darusha <laughs> said that, Kurt Hennig's in the house. Everybody clap. And then he drops with the Russians. And boy, did that pendulum shift to the other side. And the heat became nuclear oh, yeah. for, for you guys. Not only did you guys, were you guys the Russian tag team champions, but now you have a, a recently defected uh, fan favorite in, in Kurt Henning. And you guys worked that night against DJ Peterson, Wahoo McDaniel. And I remember this because Kurt Henning in Grand Forks the previous night was uh, supposed to have worked with Jimmy uh, Snooka for whatever, whatever reason. Of course, card subject to change. Ray Stevens ended up working. So you guys, along with Kurt Henning, are working against the booking committee wow. and, and DJ Peterson. And boy, oh boy, that was like the, still in my mind, one of the, the finest live six-man teams. But boy, you had, what was it like? You, you not only had these legends, but you got the booking team too. And, and, you, and of course, Wahoo oh, yeah. wasn't exactly uh, stingy about laying down the chops. Oh, no, no. But, uh, that's what I loved about Wahoo anyway, because he was, Stiff and snug. I always liked that when I was a kid. Uh, I was seeing the matches with uh, uh, him and Paul Jones with uh, Ole and Jen Anderson. But uh, uh, Wahoo was always like that. And I used to, I used to get my blood flowing and stuff for him to chop me and everything. So because uh, he was so well loved and uh, uh, respected, and uh, and Ray Stevens too. So that was uh, uh, anytime you get in the ring with guys like that, man, that's just a phenomenal feeling, you know. Kurt was so over there as a babyface. It was really hard for him to turn as a heel. Because he was so over as a baby. The fans just loved him. But uh, DJ Peterson, I want oh, yeah. to talk about DJ. I mean, this guy seemed like, yeah. wherever he went, he always was, seemed like he was on the bubble for something. And then for whatever reason, it was the territory days. He'd always move on to someplace else. And the AWA was another one of those stops. He made a couple of different stops uh, towards the end of the AWA run. But I always thought that there'd be a little more, a little more to him as far as uh, an elevated push as far as DJ's career went. I thought he should have got a, a single push because yeah, he was a good-looking guy. You know, he, he had a great build on him, and he was in good shape. And uh, I mean, there was, there was nothing he could do. I mean, he had, had a lot of fire and everything too. You know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the same way. The way some of that uh, went and stuff. You know, I think there was a lot of guys that should have gotten a, got a push that didn't. You know, and DJ was one of them. Uh, I thought he should have had a good single push there because I, uh, I really think he, he'd have been a phenomenal champion there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They should have kind of dragged their feet with him. Uh, also on the card that night, but they weren't in tag team action. But these guys, I think, uh, became well. They were very notorious both behind the scenes, but and in the ring as well. Uh, they became well known. Uh, I'm talking about Jerry Sag, Saganovich, and uh, Brian Knobs, the Nasty Boys. Now you got it uh, before you left for the aid of WWF. 
you kind of got to see these guys uh, sort of develop and, and get, you know, in their early years. They were still pretty much uh, training and, and trying to get real you know, ring ready, working these, these early matches for Vern. But what do you remember about the very, you know, the greener nasty boys, uh, Jerry Sags and Brian Knobs? They was very uh, open-minded and, and wanted to learn, you know, uh, anything they could they could do to improve themselves and stuff and everything. And, and I think that was a big, uh, big thing to them, you know, that they paid attention to everybody that was around them and stuff, and, and they learned quick, did what they was told and all that. And they ended it ended up paying off for them and everything. Uh, like I said, they were good listeners and. Uh, uh, they were solid in the ring, and uh, that made a big difference for them, I think. And didn't they have some training and seasoning uh, with Brad Rangins, too, from from that part of their career they, when they did work up with Vern? Brad was just a uh, phenomenal wrestler. Uh, uh, it's a shame he didn't get to go to the Olympics. Uh, I loved working with uh, uh, with Brad, too, and stuff, you know, because uh, he taught me a lot a lot of different holes and stuff, and uh, he, he had good fire and stuff, and it was it was easy to get heat on Brad, too. I mean, real, real easy. He was always a pleasure and fun, fun to work with uh, in singles or, or tags. More uh, matches on the card. I had Sherry Martell over Candy Divine. Now, Sherry Martell. Right. You want to talk about a survivor in in the business? Uh, she scratched and clawed and could fight any man who ever tried to challenge her. But you know, she had her vulnerability. Oh, yeah, she yeah, had her vulnerabilities. Uh, yeah, but boy, what a talent! Uh, uh, I got to work a mixed tag somewhere uh, with Sherry, and we got to be partners, and we did a thing. Uh, uh, were uh, I think uh, I was holding candy or something, and uh, 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 candy moved out of the way, and Sherry hit me and about knocked me out. I said, "Golly, Miss Sherry, <laughs> she was snug." I said, "That girl was stiff." I said, "Good grief, girl! Wow, yeah." I wouldn't want it to to a father and stuff because uh, for a woman she she was strong and and tough as nails, you know. So just loved uh, just loved her dearly. Uh, she she was a, a beautiful lady, but she wasn't somebody to make mad. That's for sure. So whether you was a guy or a girl. <laughs> was Candy Divine kind of cut from the, sort of the same cloth? Because, I mean, she had to deal with what Sherry yeah. dished out, but she took it She she took it just as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she sure did. Both of them were. I remember Sherry grabbing me one day, and Sherry was strong, too, and I, uh, I wasn't expecting that she'd come up behind me and stuff. Or, hey, boys. I said, oh, good grief, Sherry. You scared the daylights out of me. So. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, she was definitely one of a kind, and uh, well, she moved on, yeah. of course, uh, not too uh, long after as well for the WWF. Uh, Kevin Kelly, uh, right. a guy that, uh, or Kevin Wachholz, uh, a guy at the time was Mister Magnificent, Kevin Kelly, who appeared yeah. to be on a push, uh, getting towards uh, some sort of starting with the AWA. He wrestled against uh, another guy who's a, a pretty good carpenter for himself, Steve Ol- Steve Olsonowski, and. Yeah, Kevin Kelly, that was right. one of those tales of a guy that he was starting to get a push, things started to happen, and then things kind of went south, especially when he ended up uh, as the convict nails uh, working for Vince. I mean, that's that's a matter for those guys to figure out. But Kevin Kelly at the time, though, his star was starting to rise with Vern. Man, he was, uh, he was a good-looking guy, big, uh, big boy, uh, very, very believable. Sean was a bull, too, so... I wish things could have worked out better for him because he was uh, he definitely he definitely had the looks. There's no doubt about it. You worked with Steve Olsonowski a few different times. Uh, that was another guy that was oh, very yeah, very yeah. competent in the ring. I got to work with Steve several times uh, during my career and stuff, and he uh, Steve was phenomenal too and stuff. Good looking guy, you know, and good good baby face, good wrestler, good baby face. Real easy. He was another easy guy to get heat on. Greg Donnie too was another easy guy to uh, get heat on and stuff, and uh, uh, he always had a lot of fire and. Uh, everything too and so I always look forward to working with Greg too. 
boy, the time has, has simply fly, flown by. We're going to have to have a, a repeated uh, guest uh, appearance for you here in some time down the line. But uh, before we go, uh, Boris, I want to talk about the AWA, of course, the showboat shows. But also I want to talk about Larry Larry Nelson. Well, as far as Larry Nelson goes, uh, he was very energetic. And uh, I think that's what made him stand out and stuff. I mean, uh, if you have uh, somebody that that's the same, uh, if all the announcers are the same, uh, it doesn't mean anything. So that the... Uh, to me, that separated uh, uh, Larry from other guys and stuff, you know, and he'd get excited and with what was going on in the ring and, uh, um, you know, when he was doing commentating and, and all that and, and uh, great facial responses and stuff when he was doing interviews and, and just, I mean, uh, watching him and Stan Anson was always hilarious because <laughs> you never knew what Stan was going to do and the way Larry would react, but that just added so much to it. So uh, uh, that that's what I loved about the. Uh, uh, Larry Nelson, he'd get excited and and then get scared, or and, and uh, just the way he uh, would uh, express himself was always fun to watch. He's kind of like a Gumby, the way that he would flop around sometimes when Stan Hansen would get in, or if somebody would, uh, he'd be still announcing in the ring, or somebody did a run in. Uh, Larry was, and the oh, thing yeah. with Larry too was, it was unfortunate that Larry was kind of a bigger, taller guy. So then there were situations where. He kind of towered over some of the guys that were in the company, not all, but some of the guys. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he, he was kind of a, a tall guy and everything and stuff. But you know, if uh, if guys made a move and stuff, uh, he he'd show the you know, fear in his face or uh, back up a little bit and all that stuff. You know, if uh, if guys got upset and all that, so he uh, I, I always thought he was spotted good in situations like that with the uh, guys that uh, he was a little. Uh, either the same size or a little, little bit taller than them. Mike Shields, there's another guy that uh, deserves uh, some props yeah. for the work he's done. Very, very fond of Mike. I, I always uh, remember Mike uh, Mike very well. He always worked himself uh, silly, and uh, that to me, that always uh, meant a lot to the guys that put themselves out for you like that because mm-hmm. that, uh, that's what brought, brought that show together, guys behind the scenes. Uh, they were just as important as we were. Well, my friend, it is time. Uh, the, the timekeeper's giving me the eye. We got to ring the bell on this edition of Wrestling Memories. Uh, I, I do want to thank you, uh, Boris Zuka, for coming on to the program. It's amazing how fast time can fly when, when the memories get going, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, especially when they're having fun and stuff and everything, you know. I know we had to talk about some some uh, sad stuff and everything. Yeah, like the uh, uh, last few days, you know, I, had looked at stuff on uh, YouTube about uh, uh, Brody and all that stuff, you know, and then I was able to uh, look at that match that me and him have and stuff because, uh, you know, what happened to Frank has is, is haunted me uh, all these years after it happened, you know. Uh, and after it happened, I never went back. I went to Puerto Rico one time for Vern Gagne sent me over there, and I never. And after what happened to Frank, I never went back. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. We are always welcome back. And uh, next time, I'm going to get George off the uh, off of his assignment, and we can uh, get all three of us. Uh, you know, George is going to be coming uh, fully loaded with AWA uh, stories for you to talk about. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, sir. And uh, again, don't ever be a stranger to wrestling memories. I uh, sure won't. Thank you so very, very much for having me. For Boris Zukov. Don't be done, you tabadish. I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now.